1: Hello, welcome to the Snooker Scene Podcast. I'm Dave Hendon. Delighted to be joined, I think, for the third time by the WPBSA chairman, Jason Ferguson. Um, lot to discuss about the WPBSA, Jason, but before we get into that, how are you in these strange times?
0: I'm actually considering um, everything that's going on in the world. I am actually remarkably well. Um, You know, these are very difficult times. And David, it is a pleasure to be back. I I do love your blog and I think it's very informative and I do follow it. So um, I'm actually delighted to join you again. It's always great to talk about what we're doing because there's always lots of things happening behind the scenes that you don't really see on TV. You know, important things. So I'm delighted to be
1: here. So yeah, thanks. I I am actually well. Working extremely hard, you'll be pleased to know, as usual. But I guess the air miles are down this year because you're known for obviously doing a lot of travelling. I suppose you haven't had that much opportunity to do that this year.
0: No, I mean I think the last trip I the last trip I made this year was to Saudi Arabia. Obviously, we were planning quite you know quite strongly towards not just the the major event there, but we were we were working with the ministry there in terms of what our sports development was going to look like over the next three, four, five years. So that was the last trip I made. I came back to the UK and. Obviously, we've ended it up in this this lockdown situation. Things on hold. Very challenging times for all of us, um, you know. And, and I guess you know we are actually the lucky ones that have been able to get back up trading again. You know, you have to feel for all those people out there that are struggling, especially this time of year.
1: Definitely. Well, okay. So the WPSA um, are enacting some changes. Um, just explain what they are. It's to do with separating out sort of players and the governance side. I think
0: yes i mean if if i if i just turn the clock back 10 years you know it's just over 10 years you know we we did a major restructuring snooker which which really meant that you know new shareholders matchroom sport came in and so on uh, this changed the face of how the sport was going to operate commercially the wpbsa was sitting firmly aside at the side of world snooker so snooker is actually currently if you look at it as two companies you have a commercial event operation the world snooker tour Uh, That's obviously uh, managed by Barry and the team. Uh, We are a major shareholder in that company, the WPBSA, and we still have uh, agreements between us. So we still do the rankings, we provide governance support, we do rules, regulations, disciplinary, anti-corruption strategies, drug testing, all the things that sports need. But we also, um, over the last 10 years in particular, the vision was when that that major change came, which we all know uh, has been very successful in snooker, but, but the vision long term was that the WPBSA would embark on much more uh, in terms of sports development and looking at how this sport can grow, not just at grassroots here in England, but actually around the world. And that's something that we've been slowly moving to. As that has developed, we, we've actually reached the point uh, to deliver something which is more of a tripartite structure. So, the world snooker tour continues to churn events out week in week out Dave as you know very successful um very challenging times but always seem to find the answers to get snooker back on tv and and that's something that we're extremely proud of uh WPBSA working hard on you know not just um governance of the sport but also player welfare and uh, it's important to to understand the WPBSA's role in all this We we are a major shareholder and a major contributor to World Snooker, but actually, outside outside of the general operation of that, that governance role is really important. What does snooker look like to the world? Are we a an open sport? Do we support disability sport? How many women are in our sport? All these things that we're under great scrutiny for in sport these days. So my vision for the WPBSA was always to move the WPBSA forward into a strong, global governing body which could uh, reflect what this sport is going forward there is so much untapped potential in the world for snooker this sport is massive much bigger than anybody could ever imagine um and, and we have so many projects and so many tentacles out there now working with so many different partners in the world and you started this by saying the air miles are down the air miles are down but the conversations around the world are up because we've had time at our desk We've got great platforms we can work on. And week in, week out, we're dealing with various people around the world. So we're very excited about the future. So it was important to actually get that model right of what the WPBSA was going to look like. So over a period of about 18 months now, we've been consulting with the playing membership. We've consulted with uh, people within the sport. um, And more importantly, we've we've consulted, of course, with, with independent sports specialist lawyers on other governing bodies and what other structures look like in sport. What's come out of that is what we've delivered to our membership at an extraordinary general meeting for change within the WPBSA. Key to that, WPBSA has always been in disciplinary matters, judge, jury, it's not right. We have to have somewhere that our players can go to for help, support in any matters where they may fall foul of the rules. This is something that's very important to me, but also player welfare. We're travelling the world. Even before lockdown, we were travelling the world. We have many players travelling on their own. We have a lot of young players travelling on their own. We need player support. Those players need somewhere to go. We need to build on ourselves as a player's body. So the WPBSA um, remains uh, the governing body. It remains a major part of World Snooker. But what we've created is a separate entity, a company limited by a guarantee as a player's representative body. And that player's body will be run by players, solely by players and solely for players. And, and the way that would work is if, uh, if the governing body, WPBSA, um, finds a player uh, in breach of the rules and we write to that player and say, you're in breach of the rules, you're facing disciplinary action for this, this and this that player can take that to that player's body independent of the WPBSA board and say, I've got this letter, I need some help. They will be signposted. They will also be given a, a, a direction to go to free consultation with a lawyer should they need it. And that process will begin of player support. It may be that it's black and white and the player bo- player's board says, listen, sorry, boys, can't help you. But, you know, there will be a body there. It will be made up of elected players and it will be made up of current and former players and it will be there to support the players. And hopefully we can build on that player support. It's critical.
1: So what is the sort of relationship between the two bodies? Because I guess you are sort of, in a way, like you say, splitting the responsibilities of the WPVSA. Would you have any jurisdiction over them or is it completely separate? it's a separate entity but it, it, it is it is a body which is tied
0: together with the WPBSA whilst we split the WPBSA into two bodies what falls between those two bodies is a is a firm contractual agreement which is which body can do what and and how that's going to work and that includes a split in the income as well because we recognize that player support needs finances and it needs resources so it's important to do that there's a limit to how far we can split everything. And we've we've put everything, what we would call, at, at arm's length as much as possible. But there is still clearly some uh, close connection between those two organisations. One's WPBSA. It works on governance and development of this sport, and it supports and helps the World Snooker Tour develop. The other one is WPBSA Players. They're for
1: players, solely for players, and run by players. And do the players... the the, the new players body will they have any kind of influence on for example the more commercial decisions being made which ultimately do affect them the reason I ask that is because in my experience there's no sort of uh, agreement amongst players necessarily about formats because players and it is an individual sport and they often think individually if you're ranked number 7 in the world what's good for you is not necessarily the same as someone ranked number 80 in the world and often they look at it from their own perspective so although it sounds great that they've got their own body, they still maybe have different priorities depending on where they are in the game.
0: It's a very, very well-made point, Dave, because if if we look at the history
1: of this sport, if we look at the history of the
0: WPBSA, we've taken this WPBSA from what was a small members association. It was a members club. It was never really a governing body in the early days. It's moved over the years to having some commercial operations. And then just over 10 years ago, it changed and became a proper governing body, the WPBSA. But actually, the commercial aspects must have a degree of independence and decision-making. Just, just the same as a player issue needs some independence. The commercial aspects will still be controlled by World Snooker. The player's body will have the right, and it will have regular meetings with World Snooker's operations team, and it will consult. World Snooker will consult with the player's body on things like seeding cutoffs and... Um, how the tour's working, how do you get from A to B, and what does the calendar look like? There will be some input, but the decisions on the commercial operation must remain with World Snooker and must have an independence in order to be able to operate, grow, invest, because that's actually in turn of what creates the income, it creates the events, the opportunities, that has to come first. What we have to do with the player's body is make sure it's strong enough to lobby on something if they're not happy with it, but there has to be a degree of common sense around that. You hit the point exactly on the head. Years ago, players used to get together, the bottom 60 players would get together and try and overthrow the top 60 players. It's been going on year after year, went on for years and held this sport back. What we're doing here is we've made that first step 10 years ago, we've made the second step now to take this into a sport that can truly operate like a global sport. Um, And I think we're going to see some fruits of of the labour on this. It's it's important to see that, that also, when WPBSA owned everything, it was always ripe for a takeover. So there was always that risk that commercial operators could come and go out of the sport, pull it one way, sign up players, drag it another way. It has to be able to operate independently. The beauty of the structure that we have with Matchroom Sports, our major shareholder is that the WPBSA's role is defined. World Snooker's role is defined. We work together. and Working together means we can go as WPBSA uh, governance, development, sports development, whatever we're doing. We're dealing with sports ministries and governments all over the world. We can go in first on many of these opportunities. We can also come in second and put the services in that are required to underpin a major event, Saudi Arabia being a perfect example of this. Barry announces a great event. But actually, it's much bigger than a great event. What comes with that event is a need to put infrastructure in place so that that event will survive long term. Great example of that, China. We went out there, one or two events. As you know, I've been a big advocate of China. i spend spent a lot of time out there. We have huge operations on the ground. We have coaches all over the country. There are clubs all over the country. There are referees all over the country. And as such, we can move around that country putting major events on in different locations. And when we go back the following year, they're still there. And actually, the infrastructure is a little bit bigger than it was the year before. And we're constantly investing time and resources into that infrastructure, whether that be schools, program, juniors, coaches, whatever it is, the sport has to survive long-term. The beauty of having a strong
1: WPBSA. It's interesting, though, because you're, I guess, one of the few politicians who's sort of willingly giving up a bit of power here. Um, are you concerned, because we remember, you certainly will remember some of the old power struggles that you've alluded to there. Now there's sort of an, a separate body. Um, are you concerned, you know, there will be times where they'll be in opposition to each other. Um, and, you know, it could get messy depending on what, what the issues are. Are you concerned it could actually create a bit more sort of hassle for everybody?
0: I think, I think there, will be, there will be issues that, that arise out of this. There will be issues that, that the player's body will say, well, we want this. But actually, the ultimate decision will be, is that commercially viable? And is that the right thing commercially to continue to develop and grow and let this sport prosper? So, you know, all parties will have to be consulted on major issues like that. But but realistically, realistically, it's all about communication. We, we've been operating, the WPBSA has actually been operating in this structure that we've delivered for quite some time now. We've been delivering um, sports development, We've trained, you know. I think when I took over WPSA, there was maybe half a dozen coaches in the world that were actually active because we generally focused on elite players becoming coaches. There are now three to four hundred coaches operating all over the world active. We know that because we monitor them. You know, we've seen things grow. We've been operating this structure already. What we've done is formalize this structure. We already had a sports development department, we already had a player welfare department, and we also already had a Players' Commission to talk about players' issues. The WPBSA Players' Board is the formalisation of the Players' Commission to make sure it is there and not just changed to the following year if the board changes and such. Very important to get these structures right long-term.
1: Let me ask you about, it's a slightly different issue, but it is related to, because there's going to be elections to the board and there's going to be essentially three bodies, Wilson Snooker Couture, WPBSA Governance and the Players' Association. There's been a lot of talk about diversity in the media and in uh, the governance of sport and in government in general. As far as I can see, everyone currently on the board of these various bodies, they're all men, they're all white. It's not that representative, is it, of people who necessarily play snooker, watch snooker or wider society?
0: I think this is an absolutely perfect point to raise, Dave, about why we need to change the structure and why we need to have this. We do need to look at our diversity. If you look at WPBSA now, it has a, uh, a disability body for disability sport. We're working with the English Federation of Disability Sport. Our view is there that snooker should be a Paralympic sport as it once was. It was actually a founder sport of mm. the Paralympic Games. We have a women's tour. We don't grow a women's tour in order to separate women from men. We grow a women's tour to encourage more women to take up the sport and be part of the overall game. And that includes the administration. Because we see it, we do see growth in the women's game. We see more women competing at the highest levels. And there is no doubt that some of those will become administrators over time. And those opportunities will be available because to be an elected representative of the players, the only rule is you will have to have been in the top 128 in the world as a player at some point during your career. Now there are a lot of women currently out there that have been in those in and out of the Tour and they will have been in the 128, don't know the exact number, but it is important to check to look at the demographic of what we've got. The other importance of the players board is that we have to look at the overall Tour. The Tour is now representative of more countries than ever before in its history. And when I say that, I say that with more countries competing at the very highest levels. You know, we've seen great results. We've seen Alexander Erschenbacker breaking through a bit again this week. We've got players from Europe. We've got 20-plus players from China on the World Swimper Tour. Thailand always been strong. These opportunities now to serve the players will actually come from the whole tour, not just from the chosen few. We hope to see the diversity change and the opportunity is there to change it and again looking at the looking at the, the the WPBSA governance board you know we're just going through this transition period but we need to bring in expertise we need to make sure that we've got expertise around the table but well, at the same time there will be an open forum for that players board to oversee the work of the WPBSA not change it necessarily but lobby on it and oversee it to make sure it's clean and transparent and that things are being done properly. Um, I think the point's well made. I think um, we will see a change.
1: Well, a straight question. Do you have a diversity officer? And if not, why not? Um, at the moment, we've
0: only just gone through the change in the WPSA Governance Board, but a diversity officer and diversity will be a role within the Governance Board of the WPBSA.
1: That will be one of the things that's put in place. All this has got to be agreed, I think, at the AGM at the end of the month. You're confident it will be? Well, all, all this currently has, has
0: already been agreed. Right. What, what we've done, we've gone through an 18-month uh, consultation process with the players. Now, that what that meant was that we we put out changes in the structure of the organisation, our constitution, our statutes that we, that we refer to, which is the legal document that defines the way we run our operation. We've put that in front of the players, we've put that in front of players' managers, and we've taken feedback. We've gone from that and we've held, uh, even during these difficult times, we've held limited number um, COVID-secure meetings where we've presented from a distance the ideas and the concepts of what we want to do. We've had overwhelming support for the changes and those changes were put in front of an extraordinary general meeting and agreed 52 votes for, nil against, and there was one abstention, which we don't (laughs) get as a vote. But anyway, so overwhelming support for what we're doing. And I think, I think part of that is, is the communication that we've delivered along the way. So the change to the company structure has already been agreed. Now we're in the phase, what we would call the transition period, which will be from now, leading up to the annual general meeting, where we will present our usual things like accounts. But we will also be electing two new players to the WPBSA players board. There are currently five directors in the whole of the WPBSA. Three of those are player directors. Those three player directors will take up their position on the new players board, and will be joined by two new players. And already we're seeing players from Asia putting their names forward to try and get onto that players board. I'm very encouraged by that, I have to say, very encouraged. Um, So then as we go into the next phase, from January to our year end, which is 30th of June, we will be going through the next transition and that will be putting the subcommittees in place. You mentioned diversity officer, it will be putting those things in place firmly. And then by the time we get to the 1st of July onwards, we will have a firm structure going into our new year. And let's hope we've got full capacity crowds, events all over the world, and we're all having a great time.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Well, let's let's uh, hopefully, like you say, that will happen next year. But let's look at this year and the, the whole COVID situation. Um, obviously, a year ago, we kind of didn't see, we couldn't have foreseen what 2020 was going to be like. How challenging has it been for you and for the sport to, you know, go through this? It, it's been
0: hugely challenging. I mean, when, when, when COVID first hit us earlier this year, you know, it was springtime and, The sun was shining a little bit and, you know, people went, well, lockdown, yeah, we'll be okay for a while. Everything stopped. Mm. You know, the tour had to stop. People were not practising anymore. You know, I quickly at that time, you know, in in the panic of things, right, who's got tables at home? Mm. Believe it or not, how many players have snooker tables at home on the World Snooker Tour? Not many. Mm. It's less than 10 these days because players like to be in an environment where they're mixing with other people. So... You know, things like that from the day one have been a huge challenge. My immediate panic was what are our players going to do? How are they going to earn money? We were coming into what is a peak earning time for snooker players, you know, a world championship, you know, a critical moment for players either on tour, off tour, huge earning opportunities. That back end of the season when you start to go China Open, you know. Players' Championship, World Championship. That is a critical earning time for our players. So suddenly we find our players in spring. No money, no way to earn money, no events to compete in. So first thing for me was to dig deep into the resources. We went into an immediate um, financial change. We we bolted down the hatches, postponed a lot of projects, pulled our resources back in and provided player support. It was the first thing we did. Um, that tied players a little bit for the next few months to start. And eventually, you know, I have to say that the will and determination of Barry Hearn and his entrepreneurial skills and the skills of the team, particularly particular, the operations team at World Snuger, who Dave, you will see on the ground. Yeah. We'll see how everybody is running around and taking care of these venues. Our staff on the ground, our tournament directors, our referees, everybody. They're absolutely, they are the best team in the world. They're amazing. And between that team, we have produced an ability to get back up and running. And we were the first, I think, to get back up and running properly. And I was, you know, very proud to see that because that meant that we could at least put our players back into playing snooker, doing what they do best. It's not just the playing. You take a professional sportsman that's used to playing in front of crowds and being, shall we say, quite up up in, in the attitude because you're excited about events and everything. You lock a player up like that, who's somebody who's been living that life, it is not good for their well-being. We have to get people back to work. We have to get them back. So huge challenges in terms of putting the policies in place. Um, a huge amount of discussions with government, government officials, health and safety, independent medical advisors, who incidentally are all still around us now, overseeing what's going on. And then we got to the end of the season. We managed to do the qualifying, Q School, we managed to have the cut off. wasn't pretty, but we managed to get it done. And the other thing was, we actually managed to find a way to provide the opportunity for every one of our members to either stay on tour or not stay on tour. We, we worked behind the scenes to find flights, to find um, safe methods of transport, to provide financial support for those players who were, were overseas or in other areas we managed to give the opportunity to every single player on tour to come to the World Championship. And that, for me, was a huge, a huge task. Um, And I have to say, my team at the WPBSA were working on that. Neil Tompkins, Chris Hornby, the guys behind the scenes working on the policies to get players here. Players were here, World Championship comes. The struggle, the difficulty from the World Championship finishing to getting the season up and running again as things deteriorated with COVID in Britain, were just huge tasks. You know, we've all been under a lot of pressure and we still are, to be honest. You know, it's tough. It is tough. But, you know, like uh, Barry and I say to the team, it is tough, but it's not impossible. And if it's not impossible, we've got some great people around us who are willing to work hard to make it happen. And, um, you know, we are where we are. It's, It's not the same as it was. We're in locked up arenas. I think we've done the best job we possibly could in delivering a nice set and a nice environment. Um, I have to say a huge thanks to our television, our broadcasters, people like yourself, Dave, that have, that have continued to support the tour and be, be around. Um, and a huge thanks, really, to our players who have shown, you know, just that commitment um, to travel from A to B, restrict their movements all the time, um, and compete out there. because some of the entertainment on the table has been absolutely unbelievable this year. The standard of snooker is, is just quite incredible, even in these
1: difficult times. Absolutely. Well, Just to clarify, though, one thing you said, you said you gave players support, financial support. So, because they, like you say, their earnings stopped suddenly. Yes. So, the WPVSA uh, provided financial support to players. Yes. Yeah,
0: we immediately stepped in. Um, we immediately, I mean... When you look at the WPSA, you know, we've got a lot of commitments. We, we're running a lot of things. we have run a lot of amateur events. We're, we're funding a lot of projects. Um, and, and we immediately, because things were on hold, we immediately put a plan in place to stall investments elsewhere uh, and, and focus that income on providing player support. We provided uh, the opportunity for a limited amount, it was £1,000 a month, monthly income to players over a four-month period, leading up to the time when they could start to play in the World Championship again. But behind the scenes, it wasn't just the financial support of putting money into their bank accounts. It was actually the travel, visa and all the other problems that were behind the scenes. Our overseas players, the assistance to get our overseas players here safely and playing in the World Championships. So, you know, I think looking back, I think something I'm I'm extremely proud of um, in terms of the team uh, the team really stepped up. Um, we have a few, two new player directors on our board this year as well, who were who were who've worked extremely hard. I have to say, um, it, it's been a it's been an extremely challenging year, and it's it's a changing landscape. It changes every week, and problems crop up all the time. And fortunately, you know we're able to keep resolving them.
1: Obviously, you have to follow government guidelines. Um, like you say, we've got back playing, but there's structures in place. If people test positive, obviously, they have to get withdrawn. There's also been a few hard luck stories. Um, in particular, I think Oliver Lyons in one of the tournaments, he won a match um, and his dad, Peter, tested positive. And because they'd been in contact within a certain period, Ollie had to withdraw. Um, again, that's not just, obviously, a financial issue for him. There's a kind of mental health thing there as well, isn't there? You know, he's won a match, he's played well. He's been thrown out of tournament. What sort of support of the player of the say' been given players on the sort of mental health side as well as just financial?
0: Yeah, it's it's very important you say that. I mean, I, I mean, let's let's just uh, go back to those points. I mean, we're having situations where players are turning up. Um, we don't know if they, they if they're COVID positive or not. They're going into the testing regime. If they're positive, they have to leave. This is our policy, and that that throws up other problems. If that player has arrived on public transport. For example that throws what we we at the WPBSA have been booking private ambulances to deliver people back to their homes where they can go on quarantine properly if that's not possible we've provided quarantine facilities um you know I, I felt sorry for a young lad from 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 Ireland Declan Lavery who came mm. over uh, an amateur player got the wild card from Ireland to play in the Irish got tested positive ended up having to go in quarantine the other mental health support it's not just the financial support of looking after those players and there is a limit to what we can do when we're supporting the whole tour but it's actually the phone calls the checking on them the staff dropping goodie bags off for them it's it's all those things uh, behind the scenes uh, and i'm not saying that we you know we can do everything for every single player but for the limited resources that we have um we do push as far as we possibly can to look after our players Um, and mental health is a a huge issue we we have mental health services in place for players Uh, we support um, also uh, a charity uh, which actually launched their angels today uh, silence of suicide sos um, angels we've been working with this charity Uh, a lot of people do sit in silence and that is a very worrying thing for me not just in this current climate but there are times where we're traveling overseas with players who, who I wonder if, if they're okay traveling far and wide. You know, some of the distances we travel and they're locked up in a hotel room sometimes in a strange country for the first time. We do have to keep an eye on players. We also help work with Sporting Chance, which um, uh, provides mental health support. Our players have the opportunity to go independently uh, if they want to talk to people and we do signpost them. You know, and again, I'd like to say, we are looking at how we can improve that signposting to ensure our players have the services they need. Um, one of the things we're, we're looking at now, through the new player's body, the player's body, whilst it's not even properly formed yet, is already working on a player's app, the player's companion on your phone. You know, this kind of strategy is how to get to people these days. We have to, we, we've gone from this old members club that used to write everything down, <laughs> old ledger books and things, mm. We're now looking at, you know, how can we get direct to players through, through modern communication? So things, ha- you know, things like that have to improve. Well, there is a very personal um, touch to our player support, um, you know, uh, right from uh, you know, the top to the bottom. I mean, Neil Tompkins is our players liaison manager. He will be working, by the way, with the new players board of directors, and he will be the key central administrator in player support and player benefits for the WPBSA players. He's on site. When something goes wrong with the players, we're there. Somebody from the WPBSA will be there providing support. Somebody will be there talking them through what goes on. Somebody will also be there talking them through transport, providing them with the information they need when they do get home. And also, we you know we do follow up and, and check on people.
1: We're talking here about the professional game, but obviously, as you said, you run the women's and disabilities tours as well. They've had to stop, haven't they? I mean, I suppose there's only so much, so many resources to go around. But I guess that's very frustrating for the people who play on those tours.
0: It is, and uh, you know, for me, you know, the, it brings a lot of frustrations. This because we, we we want to, we get the professional tour back up and running, um, and of course, the costs of running a secure bubble and testing regimes and everything else are are, are very. Uh, restrictive in terms of developing grassroots amateur sport. You know, we sadly are, are not a funded sport. We are a sport that relies upon the success of the World Snooker Tour in order to be able to reinvest our income. The WVSA, governing body, it reinvests its income back into the sport 100%. We're a not for profit body. So, you know, we don't have the luxury of being able to draw on huge financial resources to be able to put on our You know, amateur events, our junior events, our uh, World Women's Tour events, our disabled events. It's it's actually very frustrating for me to see this. You know, I I read in in the last few weeks about the new tiers that are out now, and clubs. You know, some clubs can open, some clubs can't. It appears that a club in tier three now cannot open because it's snooker. You can go to the gym though, David, if you want. It's okay. Um, why you can't play snooker on a snooker table which is two meters wide and two meters from the next one and is covered in sanitizer along with the equipment you're using with policies that have already been agreed and signed off is beyond me um, so that is we are finding that extremely restrictive we are seeing some opening up now one of the test projects for this at the moment as you know we have a world senior snooker talk world seniors we have the World Championships following the World World Snooker Championships. Uh, last year, great success. Senior's tour is an interesting project. We have a lot of snooker players who have very long careers, and I don't see that changing. I think you, even the young players coming into the sport now will have very long careers. Um, we're not that. Um, we're not a sport like rugby where you are probably taking a bit of a you know a pounding even when you win. We are uh, you know a sport that people can play for a long time. The World Seniors Tour is open to amateur players all over the world, but it's also open to players outside of the top 64 who are over 40 years of age and, and want to play in those events. So, if you're, if you're over 40 and outside the top 64, you can play in the World Seniors Qualifiers as well. These are additional opportunities for players, which generally are lower ranked players with less opportunities than some of the top players. One of the projects to test the market. We're looking now at at clubs and how can we use those clubs as venues rather than if they can't open as snooker clubs in this climate, can they be used as secure venues? Can we create a secure bubble, much the same as we've created in Milton Keynes for our events there? We can do the same in a closed snooker club. So World Seniors Qualifiers will take place in January in a snooker club in Reading, the Crucible, Crucible Club. Um, It will be a secure bubble just like Milton Keynes, but it will be at amateur level. And although it's an elite pathway to the World Senior Snooker Tour, it is actually a way of us looking at, uh, entrepreneurs looking at how we can adapt to use these facilities, put business back into these facilities, get activity in the clubs again, even if they're not open as public venues as such so this test event is uh, 4th to 10th of January we're looking to deliver that event as a qualification process if that is successful that will set the benchmark of how we may be able to start some of these things back up again in the new year it will give the opportunity challenge tour which is now the Q tour it will give us the opportunity for world women's tour it will give us the opportunity for disability events you know, there are there are people sat at home desperate to get out and play snooker because it's the one thing they love. I love this I love this sport, Dave, as you know. And I couldn't imagine not it not being part of my life. And yet we have people sat at home in tier three areas right now, with their queue sat in the corner, which they've just sterilized, and they can't go and use it. Very frustrating. We've got to adapt, we've got to find ways through it. We're also asking the government for changes on that, by the way.
1: Well, speaking of the government, so we're talking about the British government. Um, they recently paid out hundreds of millions of pounds to various sports to help them because there's been obviously a shortfall in revenue. Snooker wasn't on the list, didn't get a penny. Um, why is that, do you think? I mean, well, firstly, I mean, how frustrating is it? But why do you think Snooker is not on that list?
0: I think it's part of a uh, a wider problem. Uh, we we have been trying to restructure snooker. We we talked about earlier in this in you know in this in this interview about about how we've restructured the world body in, in order to be the right shape it needs to be in order to go forward. We're doing the same here in England. Um, English snooker now is run by the English Partnership for Snooker and Billiards. It is a not for profit governing body for snooker and billiards in England. Uh, For some time now, we've been in discussions with Sport England and I am going back um, a, a good few years here about how we can be in line and look at funded activities in communities. You know, this sport is huge. Some of these clubs that we go to are real hubs of the community, whether that be young people, junior clubs, getting people off the streets all the way through to serious players in their leagues right the way through to the the aging population that we have in this country. You know, snooker has been proved as a sport which improves cognitive brain function in older people. Why would we not want these clubs to be operational and have activities in them? And why do they keep closing down when people want to turn them into blocks of flats? We need to look at the real issue here. The real issue is that we are outside of this box of what is a solicited sport in England. What is a solicited sport in England? I've asked the sports minister the same question and I'm hoping for a reply. I don't accept that that these decisions can be made where hundreds of millions of pounds is distributed amongst sports for grassroots in Britain and we are not at that table as a major British export in sport. We export our sport to 1.6 billion homes around the world. We promote British culture through doing it. We do various exchanges with schools, universities, programmes. We've got endless opportunities. And all the time we have contacts with um, our people overseas from the UK and we are always open for business to assist the UK government. I have to ask the question, why are we not a solicited sport in England? i have asked the question and i will be pursuing it further our snooker clubs what's the what's the answer well, if you've asked the sports minister what's he said well we haven't had the answer yet <laughs> we are awaiting it and we've asked it we've asked we've asked the question we are we do expect to have a meeting with the sports minister next week we have had confirmation that that will be happening um and we will be you know we'll we'll be looking for some answers but we don't we don't just want the answer we want to be in the queue because i mean I used to be in local politics, as you know, before I came back to World Snooker. All I used to see in my town was sports facilities um, that, that were going missing to developers because they were privately owned or they were. This is not the way for sport. Sport has to be designated for the public. In many, in many communities up and down, and, and this actually is worldwide, not just in Britain. In many communities, if you've got tennis courts and you've got football pitches and five-a-side pitches, you see bowling greens, you see see all kinds of sports facilities in towns. Very often, those facilities will be council-owned, owned owned by the local authority, or there'll be some um, arrangements in place. There'll be funding available. Um, But more importantly, most of those areas are protected for sport and recreation for the people of this country snooker is another sport and it is a sport of the people it is a sport you will find in most towns in some way shape or form what happens to snooker clubs is because of the large area of square feet square meters that are required to operate a snooker club they are very often not viable businesses and in a time like now when you're starting to look at minimum capacity reduced capacity and all the extra protocols in place this is a huge problem. Right now, If there's, the people I feel for badly in, in this industry now are the club owners. They're the life and soul of this sport. They're where the leagues go. They're where the amateur events are played. They're where the juniors come from. They're where the after-school clubs are. They're where the Saturday morning leagues are. They're where our coaches are based. Those club owners are hurting badly in this country because those large buildings are generally owned by private operators, property companies. Large rent, large rates. Where is the support for this sport? Is what I'm asking. If that was a tennis court and I said I'm going to build a block of flats on it because that's a really nice piece of land uh, and I think I can make a nice few quid out of it, the council would step in and say, Sorry about that, Mr. Ferguson. That is green open space and it is designated for sport and recreation. It is protected in law. I want the same for this sport. Our clubs must have within Local authority, they must have their place. And that's what I'll be fighting for. We've made applications to Sport England about using community halls and putting tables in. We've made various applications. They've been refused. We're outside of the loop. But we're not staying outside of the loop. We need to get inside and we need to be accepted as the British sport that we are. And uh, yeah, I find it very frustrating, Dave. To be honest, and um, we're not going to stop. We are working. I'm, I'm very hopeful that uh, Tim Hollingsworth, the new uh, um, boss at Sport England, I'm very hopeful that that uh, he seems very open to to what we're doing. Uh, I'm hopeful that the UK government will will see uh, see what we are actually as a sport. Gone are the days of smoky halls on back streets. Oh, they've all gone. What we have today, we have a club scheme, the 147 Club. There are 72 member clubs on there. They are, they are nice, friendly, family-orientated snooker clubs where you can go find a coach. They've got welfare officers in them. They've got good facilities. They're clean. And this is what we're looking for. But we have to protect those facilities. How many, how many, how many empty shops will we see in our towns and cities in the coming years? You know, we've seen this week in the news in the UK, we've seen we've seen the huge announcements about Arcadia going, this is more square feet that is going to be empty in our town centres. It's time we put the recreation back into some of those big buildings, and I will be looking for the councils to step up and do
1: it. It seems to me that the problem is sort of image problem, and the image doesn't meet the reality. As you say, the old smoky halls full of ne'er-do-wells and fruit machines and people having a drink, that's largely gone, but maybe... The people who dish out the money don't know that and I mean you know you couldn't have done any more to try and change their minds but I think there is also potentially issues around the professional tour most of our events are sponsored by gambling firms so that doesn't quite meet necessarily the image you're trying to portray as a family friendly sport there's nothing wrong with betting firms they've got a lot of money they're proper companies but in terms of image it reminds me a little bit of the eighties when most sponsors were tobacco, and of course, eventually they knocked that on the head. We, you know, we we we're grateful that we're being backed by by anybody who wants to put money into the sport. And as I say, these are proper companies. But could that be a slight issue as well?
0: I, I'm, you know, I'm sure you know that there are many issues um, in in light of that. And you know, I take the point of what you said about tobacco. I was actually a director of World Snooker when the tobacco uh, went. These were. Again, challenging times for World Snooker. And, you know, that, that, that large income that, that the WPBSA had been used to suddenly started to dry up. It was, it was, a, lot, you know, it was a lot harder. Uh, again, I, you know, I have to say, and uh, poor old Richard Cabour, a very good friend of mine these days, who was the sports minister at the right, at the time, I gave him a hard time because they gave Formula One an extension of 10 years for tobacco, mm-hmm. which, again, was quite a bizarre decision. But um, where we are today is, yes, we are. But actually, we're not alone with all these other sports alongside us. You know, you don't have to look far to see, uh, you know, betting sponsorship in other sports. Um, we are, we do have uh, betting sponsors. And actually, you know, it's interesting because actually, in reality, the average bet on snooker is is tiny. It, it really is tiny. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that that is, you know, that, that's great. We should be backing it and everything else. That, that's not the point I'm making. We are grateful of the backing that we've had from the industry because I have to tell you, we've used that money and we've invested it, and we've invested it in junior coaching, we've invested it in training, we've invested
1: it in grassroots programmes. We're investing it for the future. Sure, the mo- the money's great. What I'm saying is about the image. People looking who are not inside the, the snooker bubble, looking at the outside, if they have in their mind, oh, it's all you know, people in smoky halls gambling, well, the gambling aspect is kind of still there the World Championship sponsored by a betting firm. So, if you're trying to change the image of the sport, maybe that is a slight conflict.
0: Yeah, I, I can I can see the point. Um, I I do get the point. In particular, I think if we were to look at that as a global tour, you know, we're a tour of 28 events around the world. It, it's actually we we do have a very large spread of sponsors. We have the automotive interest sponsoring us. We have banks. We have financial institutions. We have a varying degree of sponsorship all over the world. I think in the UK, I think, um, you know, gambling sponsorship is still a large percentage of sponsorship generally in sport. And I think, um, yeah, you know, maybe we've got some issues to face there down the line, but it it doesn't change actually what's happening on, on the ground. You know, it doesn't change the fact that these clubs are providing fantastic community services and fantastic places for young people to go rather than hanging around on street corners and and that's what I want to see because it if they're in that environment which is controlled and if those young people are in that environment which is uh, have got welfare officers on side and we are providing activities for them to enjoy then there has to be some benefit to that and we'll keep fighting that argument irrespective of, of who's sponsoring the events
1: you spend a lot of time uh, or have spent a lot of time in china of course. Um... What's your sense? I mean, you you know, you're not Nostradamus in terms of what's going to happen with COVID, but what is your sense of when we might resume the tour over there?
0: Well, it's interesting. About um, two weeks ago, uh, the first actual official event for Stuka took place uh, in Xi'an, which is a beautiful part of China. Um, You know, this is is the first step of COVID policies being in place in China in order to stage major events. At the moment, um, the biggest problem is travel restrictions. We have great partners in China. We work closely with the Chinese Billies and Snooker Association, which is under the Sports Authority of China. Um, We've got great events in great big cities like Shanghai, Beijing, and we've got further opportunities to, to explore out there. The issue for us is not getting the events on and not being able to operate the events. The issue for us is actually getting there serving the quarantine time, which is currently required under government rules, and then playing the event and then getting back and maybe having to serve the quarantine time at the other end. At so it's, mo- sort
1: of two, it's sort of two weeks either side, isn't it? So that's, yeah. a, that's like five weeks to play one tournament.
0: It's around five weeks to play one tournament in China currently. For us as a World Tour, when we want to be playing week in, week out and delivering live sport on television, that is unrealistic to think we could do that. Um, it will change, you know. Maybe you know we're seeing some light here in terms of people talking about uh, vaccines. We're seeing uh, a little, people a little bit uplifted by that. Maybe that this will start to change. The lead in time is the problem with doing major events. The likelihood is now we've seen announcements with the World Snooker Tour calendar. We are now looking at next season. We don't think we're going to struggle to put those events on next season. I'll be honest with you. I'm um, actually very upbeat about it uh, and I'm excited about the other opportunities that are there which we've actually uncovered during this Covid period while we've had time to sit at our desks and think about it. Um, so there, there, there are huge opportunities not just in China but in, in other countries further afield. Um, there are so many areas of the world where this sport is played on the ground and yet we don't have major events there or we've never been there. That excites me, to be honest. I, want, I can't wait to get off the plane and go and find out who's on the ground. How can we make this work? It, that really is where, where, what I love doing. Um, you know, and, and through that, we're looking at new projects to try and unearth how big the sport is in various areas. Part of WPBSA's governing body role, we're about to open up our club scheme, our club mapping scheme to the world. Currently, we have an English scheme called the 147 Club. We have clubs registered on a website. You can find a club in your area. You can find a coach in your area. If you're watching the snook, if you're watching the UK championships live on BBC or Eurosport this week, go on WPBSA.com, find a club, find a coach. So easy. Put your postcode in. It will tell you who's in the area, where the clubs are, what the club's like. Is there disabled access? Can you park? Is food being served? All this information is available on WPBSA.com. We're about to launch that as a global scheme. We are uncovering snooker in parts of the world where I'm thinking, I have a big map on the wall just behind me because sometimes I hear of a place and I have to, even with all my traveling experience, I have to go, I have absolutely no idea where that is. I'm going to have to look on the map and we're uncovering this. So our intention moving forward as of next week is to open up the registration services for snooker clubs around the world to be mapped on our website. Now, that will be a very basic places to play snooker. But what that will do, it will uncover where the strengths are in the world, where the, where the, there are more clubs, where there's a congregation of a lot of clubs and a lot of activity. Over time, we're, we're quite excited about what, what information that can, might give us. So, look, it's, it's all about international travel. If we suddenly look up in the sky and there's aeroplanes everywhere again, then we'll be back up there again and we'll be, we'll be heading off, uh, I would imagine, to the Far East soon and, and then following on from that, um, other areas of the world as well.
1: That's very interesting and, and a hopeful note, I think, on which to end, Jason. It's been great to talk to you. I'm sure you're looking forward to racking up the air miles next year and let's hope that gradually things get back to normal and, uh, of course, the fans get back as well. That's an important thing to say as well. People can actually yes. come along and watch our tournaments. Thank you, David. It's been nice talking to you. Thank you very much. And hopefully, I've recorded this. I'm now going to stop recording. So, hopefully, everyone's heard it. We'll be back next week with more. Cheers.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network.